Each week we have an opportunity to worship, to sing praises to our amazing God. We all have different experiences before we come. Some of them kind of crazy, even on the Sunday. But as we look over our week, some of us, whoa, had hard weeks. I mean, to get in a car accident where your car is totaled. That's not a fender bender. It just isn't. And to walk away from that, you know, there's been other hard things that each one of you have walked through. There's been some amazing, joyous things also. But we get to come together today as a group of believers to be able to focus on God, to recalibrate, to look once again into His eyes and be able to help us understand a little bit of the chaos of this past week and to help us focus for the assignments or the journey that God is going to give us this coming week. You know, we return to the book of John this week. It's a Jesus biography that was written by someone who literally lived three years with him. John had an agenda. His agenda was simple. It's found in John chapter 20, verse 31. And he said this, he goes, I want you to continue to believe. It's important. Because Jesus, the Messiah, the one sent from God, is the one that we are able to focus on. And he's the one that gives us life. Today, John tells a story that isn't recorded in any gospel. Every week, if you come back here, you each know that I say something like this. This is the most critical and special passage that I've seen. Rick, how is that possible that every week it's critical and special and important? Well, you know, it is true. I, I don't know why God gives each one of us favorite passages for the week. But this is my favorite for this week. You know, in chapter 13, John closes the door on Christ's public ministry. It's just Jesus and the boys right now. That's it. It's the beginning of the end. It's his final words to be able to prepare these guys to move the kingdom forward. I'm going to ask Sam Wilson, which again, Sam always sits over here. Sam, you're really messing me today, okay? He's back over there. But I'm going to ask Sam to read John chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 1. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up at the screen. Otherwise, open your Bibles, your flat screens. John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. 
He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You know, this is not a new text for many of you. You've heard this story whether you've actually read it or not. But I have a question. Why is this story just in John's Gospel? There are four Gospels all telling the story of Jesus, and each of the Gospels have a a different bent. But it seems like if there's something really, really critical or important, the Gospel writers all saw it, they all remembered it, and they all put it in their account. But this story, just in John's gospel, it's a powerful story, one that I'd like to go through verse by verse, sharing some comments and observations as we travel through the text. Folks, there is so much here, but let's pray first. Father, we do ask that you would just come in an amazing way, that your Holy Spirit would just teach us, that we would be able to hear what we need to hear. We pray, Father, if there needs to be some conviction, that you would do that. You would give us insight, and you would give us the understanding of what needs to change. We also ask you, dear Lord, that you would be not only with our people right here, But all those in this area, all over this county, all over this state, this country, this world, who are proclaiming your good news and encouraging believers. We pray especially, though, Father, for New Hope Christian with Pastor Gary and Grace Point Church with Pastor John. 
and Torch of Faith with Pastor Mark. And we pray, dear God, that you would use especially these churches to faithfully give out your word and proclaim the good news which you did so faithfully over your three years here. Open our eyes now, God. This is, this is a special section. Help us get what we need to get out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Although Sam did a wonderful job reading, I am going to start with verse 1. Not read all of the verse, but start there so that we understand the total context. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to the Father. You know, Jesus, all the way through the Gospels, we've noted that he is so well-connected with his Father. He knew exactly how long he was going to be on the planet. He knew exactly what to say, when to say it. And he knew when his time was coming to an end. Jesus modeled for each one of us what listening and responding to his Father looks like, even in hard decisions. Jesus was listening and was obedient. You see, because Jesus knew what the future held, that determined his actions. You see, our understanding of God and his message determines our actions today and even in the future. That's why we talk so much here at Crosspoint about getting to know God, helping you understand his character, to be opening up his word and listening to what he wants to tell us and teach us and encourage us. Because as we listen to God and we understand who God is, he changes us. He changes our perspective. He gives us faith when our faith is weak. And we're able to trust him in a new and a completely fresh way. Then he said, as we continue in verse 1, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Jesus literally at this time showed them the full extent of his love to the end. The Greek word teleos means perfection or completeness and signifies that Jesus loves his own to the fullest measure of love. Think of this. The most complete, perfect act of love that Jesus could show was washing feet. That was until the greatest act of love, which happened just a few hours later when he literally gave up his life. You didn't have to remember this. He even loved Judas to the end. Which we're going to talk about in just a moment. In, in verse 2, John writes this. It was time for supper, the last supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
you know, there's been talk over the years, well, if, you know, Jesus needed Judas to be able to uh, fulfill prophecy. I mean, is it really right that we had to blame Judas if all he was doing is what God wanted him to do? Judas did not do what God wanted him to do. He didn't. Greed and ambition had long opened the door to Satan to work in Judas. Even last week we chatted through that in chapter 12, if you look at verses 4, 5, and 6. But whether you believe it or not, there is demonic and spiritual activity, even right now, even right in this room. We don't see it, and the devil's done an unbelievable job, or Satan himself, to be able to come across as this little red figure with little horns and a trident. And we oftentimes make fun of the enemy. But the enemy is alive, and the enemy is active. And he influences and entices. And Judas acted and was accountable. See, the best way, especially if you're a fisherman to understand this, is Satan baits the hook. And we are the ones who bite. So Satan worked on Judas. He thought he would destroy the plan that God had because Satan doesn't know the future. And he thought that just because Judas is the one who, well, betrayed him, he would win. He would be able to kill the Son of God. But I have to put it in perspective. Jesus would, in just a moment, wash Judas's feet. Now, every one of you have been betrayed. Every one of you have been hurt deeply by loved ones. You have. You had to have. And, well, being hurt by someone, that hurts. But being hurt by family, someone you trust, someone in this case you spent three years with, is devastating. Jesus didn't skip Judas. Jesus still loved Judas. And Jesus did the demeaning task of washing Judas's feet. And then in verse 3, as we start building some of this uh, to a climax, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God, and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around him. Now again, you've heard this story, but I'd like to paint the picture. This is the last meal that Jesus is going to eat with his disciples. Actually, the last meal he's going to eat while on this planet. It was a Seder meal, so it wasn't really a scrumptious meal. And Jesus kind of turned that around in making this a new covenant and, and something that birthed the communion celebration, which we're going to have even later today, 
this should shout. The last thing that he wants his disciples to see is him washing their feet. Now, so many of us just read scriptures, and we've read this, and we have this picture in our mind that we just read, okay, Jesus was really special, he was a servant, we get this, let's not really spend too much time focusing on it. But by stressing Christ's exaltation, talking in the very beginning in verse 3 that God had given him all authority, that he was king of kings, that he was the sovereign, that he had all power and all authority. See, sometimes when we choose to do something, we have no choice. But John wanted to make it absolutely clear that the creator of all chose to do something for his disciples. Incredibly, incomprehensibly, the glorious creator and ruler of the universe was about to humbly wash the disciples' dirty feet. A menial task reserved for the lowest of all slaves. In fact, most commentaries and most people that study this first century culture, especially in Jewish kind of scenarios, wouldn't even allow the lowest of the Jewish slaves or servants to do this. This would only be reserved for a Gentile slave. The dirt. Only one other place in all of Scripture did Jesus describe his inner self. He invited all who were weary of trying to satisfy the impossible demands of religion to literally rest in him. And when he said that, he said, I am gentle and humble of heart. Now, most of the time, we want other people to talk about us. If you walk into the room and say, hey, you know, my name's Rick, and I'm gentle and humble of heart. I'm so glad to meet you. I am a servant. Ah, I hope you notice. Somehow, that doesn't sound now. Right, does it? But when Jesus says it, and even describes him back then, it was in the context of, folks, I want you to learn from me. I am so well connected that I think differently than all of you and I literally think of others more than I think of me. Jesus was the sovereign, yet he took the place of a servant. He had all things in his hands, and yet he picked up a towel. He was the Lord and Master, yet he served his followers. Jesus, Jesus modeled humility, thinking of others always. Remember, though, that true humility grows out of our relationship with the Father. The more time we spend with our God, the more time we look like him. And Jesus had all of eternity with his dad, and 30-some years here on the planet with his dad, and he knew how to reflect his father well. 
Christ's action was unprecedented, especially in light of what was happening around the table. We don't get this in this text, but if you would go in the other synoptics, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, or in Mark chapter 9, or in Matthew chapter 20, and let me remind you again, if you have not picked up a harmony of the Gospels, which is on our, our information table, I'd encourage you to do that. It just helps you put some things in perspective, because the Gospel writers kind of write at all different paces. In these other texts, we find out that the disciples were literally in hot debate. Now, it looks really serene right here. The disciples come in, they're going to have supper, everything is all prepared for them. But if we look at the other Gospels, they are arguing about greatness and power. Literally going around the table, who was the greatest and who would get the best positions in this new kingdom? Jesus is going to be king really soon. We know what he keeps talking about it. So I think Jesus needs some really good right-hand men and right-hand and left-hand men. And because I am, well, if it's Peter talking, the, the spokesman. And remember all that I did, and, and these guys were wrestling back and forth literally the night before Jesus were to be crucified. You're going, are you serious? If you were to look down in this saying, this is the group of guys that's going to carry on the kingdom? I mean, they are so worried right now about what prestige and what power they are going to have. Who was the greatest? Jesus knew that there was a competitive spirit in the hearts of the disciples. They had long forgotten his words, which he faithfully said all the time that he was here on the planet. The greatest among you will be your servant. Wow. So Jesus decided to give them an unforgettable lesson in humility. And by his actions rebuke their selfishness and pride. The more you think about this scene, the more profound it becomes. You know, I was thinking one other reason. Not only to show how to serve others, not only to take just such a menial position and, and unbelievable I guess, act of love. But one really practical reason might be their feet were smelly. Yeah. Again, we all sit around the table and our feet are way down below. But you all, maybe you have a foot-smelling problem. Maybe your mom has told you about your foot-smelling problem. Would you put those shoes outside? Would you do anything? This whole house reeks. And you stick powder in. You do all kinds of stuff. In order to, I don't know what the problem is, but yeah, it, it really does. Well, back then, the tables were a whole lot shorter. And they almost reclined around these tables. And I am pretty sure the feet were really close to where they ought not to be. And I have to believe that after walking on those streets and, well, dirty is one thing. Smelly 
is a completely other thing. And actually, I think Jesus saw this as a problem and responded. You know, so many times we try to put serving others in this lofty arena. I think sometimes just serving others actually is noticing there's a problem and you take care of that need. I do not think serving is rocket science. I just don't. And I think Jesus just had another reason. If he's going to spend the night with these guys, they need to have clean feet because they stink. Let's look at verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, and and again, this little section here is probably one of the most confusing sections, uh, maybe not only in John, but, but in the whole Bible. So hopefully this will really clear up some things and encourage you. But when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And, and let's put that in a context. Remember, all of a sudden, everybody got convicted. Peter literally said stuff that probably everybody was thinking. Like, hey, wait, you're supposed to be the master? And uh, uh, Let's read. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Jesus calmly, I put that in, responded, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter's not letting this one go. He exclaimed, then wash my hands, my head, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus again calmly I added that, responded. A person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, uh, parentheses, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. You know, not surprising that Peter is the one to publicly protest. We get it. But what we don't understand is how emphatic actually Peter is. He's saying no twice. It's a double negative here. And he's literally saying no, no. And again I say no. You will never wash my feet because you're not supposed to be washing my feet. A servant's supposed to be washing my feet. Jesus, you're screwing this up again. For a superior to wash the feet of an inferior was unheard of, whether it's Jew or Roman culture. Jesus, the ultimate teacher and perfect rabbi, was masterfully using his last moments well. He needed to do a few things to his disciples. They weren't just ready for him to pass the baton. And that's almost what you can look at chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. I am passing this baton. Literally, you are going to be the runner. So I need to respond and show you. I need to correct your misunderstanding of the Messiah's mission. We've talked about this whole time. But the Messiah, the one sent by God, the Savior, the rescuer of all of mankind is going to be a humble servant. And in just a few hours, not only washing your feet will show you this, 
but I will stretch out my hands and you will watch me give up my life for you. He needed to help them understand salvation. Again, here, if you've been around Crosspoint, we've been using two words, or actually three words, but I'm going to focus on two words. One's called justification. The other one's called sanctification. And the third one is called glorification. The three aspects or parts of salvation. When somebody recognizes that they are sinful, that they need a Savior, that even one sin is separated them from God, they understand what step one is in the salvation process. They recognize that Jesus died on the cross, that he shed his blood so that we might be redeemed, or we might be reconciled. Because some perfect sacrifice had to pay the penalty for our sin which separates us from God. You've heard that story so much and the disciples understood this. But they needed to understand it a little bit more right before Jesus handed the baton. You see, only those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and confess their sins... are the ones who are cleansed by him and have the privilege of being united with him in eternal life. Those cleansed by him have a relationship with him. And unless Jesus cleanses us, unless he bridges that gap, we don't have a relationship with our God. The complete cleansing of the redeemed at salvation never needs to be repeated. And this was the whole idea is, hey, once you take a bath, once your body is clean, once you've come and understood and responded to my amazing offer of grace, you are clean. You're clean. You're clean. Remember, holy just means clean. We've said this over and over again. Nobody wants to eat from a dirty plate. God uses that illustration over and over again is that once you come to him by faith, you put your faith in him. The scriptures say that you become clean. You have your relationship restored. You are a new creation. How amazing for all that. But sanctification is a different story. It's the day-to-day living. The disciples still needed the daily cleansing for sanctification from the defilement of sin that remains in them. That's the whole idea of the feet. The feet that touch the ground. The feet that are part of the journey. The feet that are going to get dirty. Your whole body may stay clean. But it's your feet that you're going to need to keep washing over and over and over. And John, just a little bit later in 1 John chapter 1, gives us a text that, again, is so worthy to be memorized. But if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, this is good news because every one of us live in a fallen world and every one of us still have bits of selfishness in us and every one of us rebel at times and we need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. Sometimes not once a day, sometimes 22 times a day. And what you'll find out is that God is an amazing God that loves us to come to Him. And as you walk with God, God reveals to you areas of your life you need to repent of or confess. And that's one of the beauties is that as you walk with God, He reveals sometimes attitudes. He reveals sometimes actions. He says, you know what? i got to wash your feet. You need to confess this sin and I will cleanse you. In fact, that's probably a good question for many of us sitting here. When is the last time you literally confessed sin? Well, well Rick, I'm not that bad. Okay. Um... God differs. I am telling you, if there is not a time in your life where every day you confess sin that God reveals to you over and over and over and over, I think again, if it's even hard to remember the last time you confessed any sin to God, that should be a gigantic red flag. Because I'm telling you, Whoa! I don't want to say I'm the chief of sinners. But all I know is this, is I go to God an awful lot because mm, I'm slow. How, how come I'm so slow? Why am I so dense? And i got to believe you're somewhere in there too. And that there's thoughts or there's patterns. And we have an opportunity to confess it and to be clean. Get our feet clean again. This is amazing. Wow. Let's live lives of repentance. And then in verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing, Jesus said? What a, what a perfect way to understand what teaching is all about. You actually do something, then you actually discuss it. I, I know all of you parents do that all the time, you know. But um, this is beautiful learning right here. Jesus said in verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. Because that's what I am. And since I, Jesus said, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. If you underline your Bible, and again, I encourage you to mark up your Bible. Use that Bible. Uh, whether it's on a flat screen or whatever, you know how to highlight. But circle, bold this baby up. Look what he says. You ought to wash others' feet. This is not a suggestion. Jesus is not saying, hey, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, if you think about it, if it's convenient, if there's a bowl around, if you happen to have a towel, would you just go do that? It would really be nice. No, you ought 
to wash each other's feet. You ought to every day keep doing this. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done unto you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than the master, nor is the messenger more important than one who sends the message. Of all of his lessons, I'm assuming everyone was important. But this night, he wanted them to understand the importance of loving others and humbly serving them. Period. His example shows us what humble loving looks like. Wash others' feet. Love everyone well. Don't tell me you love them, or you love your neighbor, or you love your kids, or you love your boss. Don't tell me that. I want you to wash their feet. Wait a minute. It's my kid. I mean, I'm the dad. They should, like, approach me like I'm king of the house. Maybe. All I'm saying is that the king of the universe chose to love his disciples, even the the worst of the worst, and said, I want to serve you. If people on the outside look at, you know, a king shouldn't be doing this, I get it. But I want to love everyone. So I'm going to take even those that don't deserve it, and I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. And then verse 17. Now that you know these things, Jesus said. And he could have said this. You know, guys, I've said this over and over again. But he actually just was quite kind. He said, now that I've just reminded you once again and even showed you what love and what important tasks you have God will bless you for doing them God will bless you for doing them you now know it you've now seen it go do it and receive God's blessings God wants to smile on you God wants to empower you God wants to give you well assignments that will further the kingdom this is not a new teaching. I'm sure the disciples heard this teaching hundreds of times, even in the synagogues or in the temple itself. Psalm 1, which was one of the basic psalms that the rabbis would teach over and over again. Hey, blessed are the folks. Not if they walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but that they Well, listen to me. Obey me. You will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You will have so much fruit. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Psalm 119, verse 1. Listen to me. Listen to my words. And I will bless you. From Jesus... 
himself at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, his longest sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. At the very end, he said this. He said, my words are really, really important for you to not only hear, but to listen and to obey. If you don't, when the storms come, not if, your house will stand if you're listening and obeying. But you know what? If you're not listening and not obeying, your house will crash because it's built on sandy foundation. The whole book of James. James literally, and and as you go ahead and read through the book of James, James is just pouring out his heart, saying, you know what? It's not so much of what you know. It's about what you do. Now let me ask this. Don't you find the idea of foot washing, both literal and figurative, much easier to teach than to practice? To serve others with great joy, whether they deserve it or not. But Jesus, let me remind you of this, didn't promise to release blessing upon those who teach foot washing, but to those who wash feet. Loving others by humbly serving them isn't learned in a classroom or even in a Bible study. The people who showed me Jesus over the years, the people that humbly served me in spite of who I was, and is. They rarely thought about themselves at all and were blessed as they gave. You know what? As I wrap up today, this amazing story, the question kept haunting me this week. If you, Rick, somehow knew you had 24 hours to live, You somehow got this in the mail and you knew it was a reliable kind of information. If you had 24 hours to live, how would you spend it? What would you do? What would you say? Well, I'm letting you know we know what was going on in Jesus' mind. We know what Jesus focused on. And Jesus was challenging a culture and introducing to people what the kingdom of God looks like. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we pray this one line that says, Father, thy kingdom come. It's not something way out in the future. Someday, hope to see you, Jesus. It's there too. But I think what Jesus was saying is, let my actions show who my king is. Would your kingdom be more evident today because I'm on this planet? Would I be able to reflect Jesus better to everyone that I talk to? So the people are pointed to you, Jesus. Would your your kingdom come, Jesus? Because I'm walking with you. The modern world's version of love is unabashedly self-focused and shamelessly manipulative. It sees others merely as means of self-gratification. 
People are takers, not givers. Humility is considered a weakness and selfishness of virtue. Jesus came to flip all that around. Every bit of it. Christ's love looks drastically different. And we have a chance to love others differently than what the world says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4, 6, and 7, you've heard this so many times, especially at weddings, but the Apostle Paul puts this into context. He says, let me describe to you what love is. Love is not selfish at all. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It is not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always is hopeful, endures every circumstance. You know, only the humble can love like this. People who spend time with Jesus, people who are being weaned of their own selfishness. It's the only people. And Jesus said, when you serve others, it's a mark of greatness. So, I leave you with this. Love him, and then love everybody well. Love him, and love everybody well. You know, you can't hear a message like this and walk out of here unaffected. Either you realize that, well, you're not a son or a daughter of God, and you need to, by faith, receive Him as Savior so that you can begin to live the abundant life and be forgiven for all of your sins. Or you've done that, and you've gone through life and struggled at different times with different selfishness and desires. And every time you've listened to that, you've kind of fallen short. Jesus said, there's a better way. I just want you to know it. And the way is, I want you to love others. And you do that by serving them. Doing the most unheard of things for them. Caring for them. And if you do, you not only will reflect me well, but I will bless you. The choice is ours. We either serve others, which doesn't make sense, and are blessed because of what Jesus said. Or we serve us and are not blessed. Only two choices. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that uh, you just don't do things the way we do things. We scratch our heads. We wonder, Lord, why? During the last few moments on this planet that you would realistically demean yourself and wash dirty feet. 
God, I don't know what our dirty feet really looks like. I'm pretty sure it's not literal, but, but maybe it is. Maybe it's literal. But Lord, every one of us have people in our lives that have dirty feet. Every one of us have people in our lives that you have put in our pathway. And you've called us to reflect you by loving them, by choosing to deny ourselves and care for others. God, this goes against our grain. Give us courage. Would we be known as a church, as a community, as a family in this neighborhood and all over this county? And th those are the guys that keep washing feet. They're the foot washers. They care. They care. We can't do this in our, by ourselves, God. We can't. But we can if we spend time at your feet. In Jesus' name, amen.